You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow Bright City Church on Instagram. Today's message is from Pastor Nick. Bright City, how's everybody doing? Good. Well, this week concludes uh, the sermon series that we've been in, uh, A Great Cloud, and kind of the purpose or the heart behind this sermon series, uh, and actually today being Group's Launch Day, is really just my desire to try and make a case for the power of the family of God, the local church, and as the writer Hebrew, Hebrews calls it, this great cloud. And so I've kind of been giving us a vision of what it could be, what it could be like, how God has wired his community, why it is important for our lives. And kind of that first week, I just, I kind of casted a vision for the power of this community. And I talked about how it is a community that imparts in each one of us, if we'll allow it, this great courage to walk through this life that God's given us. And not only do we have this great courage that comes from this community, but we have deep connection that comes from this community if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and connect with that community. And then not only do we have this courage imparted to us and this connection that comes with the community, but we actually receive great clarity when it comes to our lives. When we're a part of a people and we're a part of a family, there's actually kind of more than one point of view that is coming into your life and speaking into your life. So it's not just you living in your mental space can I get an amen? Because it's never good to live in your mental space for a long time. Uh, you, you need to kind of check out and you need to be able to live in the midst of other people and other people need to tell you to live in the midst of God's word. And so you get this courage, you get this connection and you get this clarity from the family of God. But here's the deal. If you will allow yourself, this family also comes with responsibility. And so it's not just like a magical thing where you're like, okay, I, I show up and I put my butt in a seat at the same time every week, or I show up every once in a while and put my butt in a seat sometime during that week. It's, it's not that. There is a great responsibility to living among the people of God. The interesting thing about God and the interesting thing about how Jesus modeled his life is that we have a God who could literally speak anything and everything into existence. We have a God who has graciously extended his power and his presence to his people. But one of the interesting things about God and one of the interesting things about how Jesus walked this earth is neither of them ever bully anyone into living and following Jesus. Like God just doesn't, he's a good father. He doesn't bully people into following him. And so he gives us choice. He gives us responsibility. And so as we've been talking about this Hebrews passage, if we're going to get the most out of this community, uh, one of the weeks I said that, hey, we're going to have to leave and we're going to have to be responsible for our hindrances and hangups. Like it doesn't mean that we carry them alone. And it doesn't mean that we don't give them to God. It just means that we are responsible for throwing those things off. Like we are responsible for throwing aside everything that hinders and entangles us so we can be a part of this family. I don't know if you've, you've noticed this in your life, but sometimes there can be a divide relationally because of the things that we allow to creep in our lives, because of the things that we allow to enter into our hearts. 
Like when, when there is sin in the camp and you know that you are sinning against God, it's not that God is far and it's not that God is distant. It just you know that you can't receive everything that you're meant to receive from God because your heart is so wrapped up in the sin that the writer of Hebrews says so easily entangles us. It's not that God is far. It just means that our hearts are far from his heart for our life. And so we have to throw off everything that hinders and entangles us. And then also we've got to watch the, the uh, markers in our lives because we're in a race. Like there is a race that God has for us. And it's up to us to kind of see those markers in those posts and realize that his presence is guiding us. His power is working in us. He's given us his promises. He's given us his people. And then when we have all of that, we get to practice his way. This is a responsibility to us. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking about these responsibilities that we have. And this week, I want to talk about another responsibility that you and I have. And that is considering where our eyes are fixed on and where our thoughts run towards. So we have a responsibility to consider our gaze and to consider our mental space. And when we do, we can find that we can make the most of this great community, but also we can live the life that God has called us to live. And so what I'd love to do is I want to read this passage. I'm sorry, I'm just jumping right in this morning. I've got nothing else but God's word. So we're going in. I'm going to read the passage, and then we're just going to talk about a few things in this passage. But I really believe that if we can figure out where our eyes are looking and where our minds are fixed, I believe that you and I will be able to walk through the hard life that we have living on this earth. And not only will we walk through it, we're going to walk through it with abundance. And not only are we going to walk through it with abundance, we're going to walk through it with abundance, producing a great fruit that God has for our lives. There is a fruit in a race and a purpose and a life that God has for you and I. And when we put our eyes and we put our minds in the right place, we're able to run the race that God has for us. So this is the verse, and I actually am going to be reading uh, a different version of this verse. It says, starting in verse 2, Hebrews 12, verse 2, says, we must never stop looking to Jesus we must never stop looking to Jesus. He is the leader of our faith, and he is the one who makes our faith complete. He suffered death on a cross, but he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing because of the joy he could see waiting for him. And now he is sitting at the right side of God's throne. Think about Jesus. He patiently endured the angry insults that sinful people were shouting at him. Again, think about him so that you won't get discouraged and stop trying. And so the writer of Hebrews has kind of given us this, this, this vision of this people that we're a part of, and then he's given us these responsibilities to have. And then also he's going to lay this last responsibility on you and I as the people of God, as a person of God, to watch where we're looking and how we are thinking and what we are thinking on. And so immediately he says, 
never stop looking to Jesus. The NIV version of this says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And the interesting thing about this phrase, when you get into the original language, is it's not just fixing your eyes on Jesus and kind of taking in everything in the, in, in, as you look. It is actually turning your sight from something else to another thing. And so when the writer is using this phrase or this word in the Greek, he's literally making the case that you are going to take your eyes off of something that you have your eyes on because your eyes are not fixed on Jesus. And so he's literally saying, hey, this thing that you're doing with Jesus and this life that you're living in faith, it doesn't come from like right now I see all of you right here. And I'm not fixed on one person. It doesn't come by taking in the whole picture. We've got to hone in on the person of Jesus. And that's how we're going to be able to live our lives. And then he continues on and he talks about considering or pondering. Uh, When I think about considering or pondering, I don't know if you're like me, but has anybody ever had this moment where they're about to make a, a decent or an amazing purchase in life? Anyone been there? You're like so excited about it. And you, you, you're kind of one of these people that maybe researches it. And if you don't research it, it, I find there's like two people. You're either researching it overly and overly and overly again, and then you, you know everything about it, or you're the person that's just like, I'm going to buy this. This is going to be great. And you see it everywhere. Anyone ever done that? It's like a shirt from Anthro. You're like, your, your heart is set on this shirt. And then you see everyone wearing it, and you're like, okay, it's God speaking. I have to buy this shirt. Or if you're considering purchasing, maybe it's a car. And you're like, oh, man, that car is so sweet. And then you start seeing the car everywhere. And you start seeing the car everywhere because I find it's not that we're seeing it more because we want it. We're seeing it more because we're aware that we should have been seeing it in the first place. And so this writer is saying, hey, when you're considering, when you're pondering, it's actually this rehearsing of thinking and thinking and thinking on Jesus. It's not enough to just decide that you're going to follow Jesus you have to decide that every day you're going to think, consider, consider, and ponder the way of Jesus. I mean, we're taking it back to straight like Mary, mother of Jesus, and Mary treasured these things in her heart, and Mary pondered these things in her heart. Like, she did it over and over again. I mean, she had, like, visitations of angels. Like, she was carrying the Son of God, and she still had to ponder and rehearse what God was doing in her life. If you've ever read Hebrews, there's Hebrews chapter 11, there's a list of names. And these people considered the way of Jesus over and over and over again. And that was the only reason they were able to fulfill the mission and the purpose that God had on their lives. And so before we move any further, we have to realize that our eyes can't be fixed on two different things. Our eyes can't be fixed on multiple things. If we're going to live the life that God's called us to live, our eyes have to be fixed on on Jesus. And not only that, we're going to have to consider and ponder the way of Jesus. We're going to have to consider and ponder Jesus's life. And when we do that, we can find, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is going to make the case for, he, he, we're going to find that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we consider Jesus, when we think about Jesus, we're going to be able to endure the crisis of faith that come our way. And so if you, you read this, he says, we must never stop looking to Jesus. He is the leader of our faith. 
He is the one who makes our faith complete. The NIV says that he is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And so here's what that means, at least to me, is I think the enemy is going to do everything he can to make you think that your eyes are in the right place, but actually they're not, especially when it comes to our faith walk. I think so many times when I find that people are having a crisis of faith, and I'm not talking about like, you've experienced something really hard in life and you're trying to figure out if God's good or not or if God is real or not. Like, I feel like wrestling and faith crises are kind of two different things. Like, when you're wrestling with God, it's like you and God in the ring wrestling this thing out. But when I find that people are having these faith crises that are, they're starting to tear down things or they're starting to, as we use this term, deconstruct things, I find that their eyes are in the wrong place. They're looking at all the wrong things. Like, just because something is a part of Christianity as a culture does not mean it's a part of Jesus and who he is and the heart that he has for his church. But for whatever reason, we find that our eyes want to be fixed to that thing. It's like if we ever see, like, drama somewhere. It's like, oh, I can't help but look. I got to look. Like, like if you rubberneck at an accident, it's like, oh, oh. Like, we've never seen an accident before, but we're almost willing to get ourselves an accident because we want to see that accident. It's like our eyes are become fixed so often to everything that is wrong. And as a result, our faith becomes undone. Our faith begins to crumble. And so when we start fixing our eyes on things that are not actual Jesus himself, we're not going to be able to, to walk in the faith that he has for us. If we start analyzing everything, if we start criticizing everything, like if we're starting to look at all the things that are wrong in this world, all the things that have happened over the time in our lives, and we're starting to fix our eyes on those things, there's a good chance that our, our faith is going to wobble. There's a good chance that we're, we're going to have a crisis of faith. And so what the writer is saying is saying, hey, I need you to fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the one that started your faith and he is going to be the one who finishes your faith. I think when I look back over the last two years, I think people are looking at things and calling it Christianity or calling it Jesus and they're putting a hope in those things, or they're putting an expectation in those things. And as a result, when those things fail them, they actually associate those things with who Jesus is. And then they, as a result, think that Jesus himself is the one who failed them. That's not who he is. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. When you read that list in Hebrews 11, it is generations of people who have gone before us and God started a faith in them and God finished the faith in them and they are with him in eternity. And so we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're able to endure the hard crises of faith that we're going to have in life. We're able to say, you know what? I, I didn't start this like Jesus actually did. Like, like, how many of you willingly chose Jesus? Like, no, the, the gospel teaches that Jesus chose us. He first loved us. Like, we don't just sing about reckless love. We're a product of reckless love, right? Like, he chose us. And if he chose us, he is going to finish the faith that he has written over our lives. 
Philippians 1.6, I believe it says that he began the good work in us. And because he began that good work in us, he's going to carry it to completion until he comes back. And so Jesus has started that faith. He's going to finish that faith. And we have to keep our eyes on him in order to walk in the faith that he has for us. And so when we have our eyes on Jesus, we're able to endure the crises of faith. We're able to endure the things that happen in this world. And so when it comes to your life, where is your gaze? Are you trying to look at Jesus and a few things? Are you trying to look at some other things? And hopefully Jesus maybe one day a week or for an hour each week. Like where is our gaze? I promise you that the hard weeks will be won because our eyes are on Jesus. The days where we're having a hard time trusting, the days where we're having a hard time following are going to be won because our eyes are on Jesus. It's called faith not because we know but because we believe that he knows and our eyes are on the one who started this thing and is going to finish this thing. And so when we have our eyes in the right place, we can also have our mind in the right place. And we realize that not only can we endure crises, we can also endure hardship and suffering. So we go back to the passage says we must never stop looking to Jesus. He's the leader of our faith and he's the one who makes our faith complete. And then it has this crazy line. It says, he suffered death on a cross, but he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing. So he has this moment where he, Jesus is coming to a place where he has to endure hardships and suffering. And he suffered the death on a cross, but he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing. So as believers, we don't believe that there won't be any suffering or hardship. We believe we have a Savior who showed us how to weather the suffering and hardship. That's what it means to be a believer. I think there's so many gospels out there quote-unquote, gospels that are preaching that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be good. But actually what you see here is that we follow Jesus, and because we follow Jesus, we're not greater than our master. We would become like our master. Because we're to become like our master, we're going to have to end up enduring like he did. We're going to end up having to press through suffering like he did. And so we see that he was able to endure hardship. But the interesting thing about this is not only do we see that he was able to endure hardship, we were able to see how he endured hardship. It's one thing to be like, all right, okay, Jesus, like I'm, I'm looking to you, and I understand in my heart that, that I'm considering you, and I know that you had a really hard life on this earth, and I know that you died a violent death on this earth, and so I know all that, but how do I get through it? Like when the actual day comes where I need to press on and press through, how do I actually get through this? Like how do I persevere? How do I endure hardship? How do I endure suffering? And when you read and continue on, it's you endure because of the joy he could see waiting for him, and now he is sitting at the right hand of God's throne. He knew that the greatest joy that he could ever experience here, the happiness that he could have here, didn't compare to the joy and the happiness that he would have in eternity. Jesus was able to endure the things of this world because he was not living for this world. He was living and looking to another world. 
And so when we consider the way of Jesus, when we consider how he lived, we can see that Jesus had some hard things happen in life, but he knew that he was looking not to the hard things of this life, but to the eternity that the Father had for him. I mean, I don't even know what that's like. Like, if we're just considering Jesus right here, right now, like, how does he even, like, consider the joy that's ahead of him? Like, it's just so crazy to think, like, he, he knew, like, he's the only one who went, who was there and then came here and went back. And so he knows something that we don't know. And if he thought it was more joyful there, we have to be able to consider that. We have to be able to ponder that. We have to be able to say, you know what? Jesus was with the Father, left the Father, put on flesh, lived the life among us, and he had all the things that he had in this world. Like, it, like the people who saw Jesus, they were like, he's a glutton and a sinner, and he, he ate with gluttons and sinners. Like, that's how they described Jesus. So he, he partook in this world. He had everything in this world. And yet, he said, you know what? There's a greater joy that's ahead of me. There's something greater that is happening. He knew that any seat that he could have in this world didn't compare to the seat that he had waiting for him at the right hand of the throne. I mean, how amazing is that? Like, do you ever think about the joy that is ahead of us? Do you ever think about the seat that we might have in the city of heaven? I mean, if, if I'm being honest, like, I think sometimes I get too wrapped up into some good things in this world. Like, even the good God things of this world, like every, like, it's so weird. We have to be, as believers, be able to process and be able to filter everything as a good and heavenly gift that comes from above. But above is the point, not the good and heavenly gift, right? And so for my own heart, I find myself living in the things of this world for the things of this world rather than considering what is ahead. And then when the world lets me down, I feel like God's let me down, Right? And the writer's saying, hey, no, 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 like we've got to consider what's ahead. If we consider what's ahead, then we're going to be able to endure the hard things that we're sitting in. Then we're going to be able to endure the hardships that we face. I, I think you'll notice that our setup's a little different. Our setup's a little different it's because we had a funeral in here yesterday of a four-year-old boy who died of cancer. And like I'm telling you, the only way we all got through that moment was because we were consistently rehearsing in our mind the glories of heaven. The only way the parents sat right here and made it through that moment is because they were recounting and remembering God's word about how he says that he has a place for us. He brings the children to him. Our home is in eternity. Our home is not in this world. And I think it is so hard to live that way in this world, but it is going to be the only thing that gets us through this world. It's going to be the only thing that helps us weather the storms of this world. And so as you're fixing your eyes on Jesus, not only do we need to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, we've got to fix our eyes and consider him who endured, and he endured hardships and suffering because he did not lose sight that this was not his home. He did not lose sight that this was not going to be the happiest that he would ever be. He did not lose sight of the seat that he had in heaven. Like he was always rehearsing that. Like can you imagine being in that garden and sweating blood and trying to figure out how you're going to get through the cross? Like I have to think that he's like, man, 
I remember home. This is not my home. I remember home. I remember being with the Father. I remember being a part of the eternal kingdom of heaven. And now I'm about to go back. I think that's how he got through the pain and the suffering that he got through. And so the writer of Hebrews is making that connection for us. If we're to endure hardships and sufferings in this world, then we have to consider Jesus. We have to consider how he lived on this earth. But more importantly, we have to consider what he thought about on this earth. The joy was ahead of him. The seat was ahead of him. Man, God gives good gifts now. Hard days will come. This is not our home. We have another home. I don't know if you, I think we've said this in the past. Like there is a great reason why we don't have people standing out front in the church saying, welcome home. If this was your home, this would be the lamest thing ever. Yeah. Like, right? Like I'm just saying, like, I love being here with y'all. I love worshiping with y'all. I love hearing God's word. But if this is it, then it's not worth it. But we're playing for something greater. We have something greater. He's preparing a place for you. And so when you have hard days, you've got to remember that he's preparing a place for you. This is not it. I think sometimes hard days are the things that we think uh, cancels out faith, but it's actually the thing that should bolster our faith. It's like, hey, man, Jesus said this. He said this place wasn't my home. Like he said that I'm just, it doesn't feel right here. Like he said that, that there would be hardship and suffering. Like he said that in this world I will have troubles. But there's something greater that's ahead for you and I, and that's how we endure. And not only when we fix our eyes on Jesus and consider Jesus are we able to endure crises of faith, endure hardships and suffering, but we're also able to endure hard people. Can I get an amen? I'm a hard person. Think about Jesus. He patiently endured the angry insults that sinful people were shouting at him. Think about Jesus. He patiently endured the angry insults that sinful people were shouting at him. And so when I read this, it's amazing because he just didn't tolerate people, right? Like I find that that's how I'm going through life. Like I'm trying to tolerate difficult people. Like, I'm trying to be like, okay, all right, if I can just get through this moment, if I can just get through this interaction, if I can just get through traffic, if I can just get through social media, like, I just, God, don't, don't let me see any crazy post out there. Like, don't let me see anything that'll make me go nuts. Like, if I can just endure and just tolerate people. But Jesus didn't tolerate people. He died for people, right? Like, Jesus didn't tolerate people. He was patient with people. He was kind with people. Here's the crazy thing is he still did everything good and right for them, even in the midst of them hurling insults at him. Like, have you ever considered that? It wasn't just that that person made him mad, and so then he endured the cross, and then he was able to patiently endure those people. It was Jesus patiently enduring those people in the midst of him doing hard things and loving them. Like, it wasn't just like they did this, so now he's mad. It was like he's dying on a cross, and they are angry at him, yet he still loved them and hung there in his place. A theology for how we handle people will be one of the most crucial things for the future of the church. Let me repeat that. The theology of how we handle hard people will be the future of the church. 
And I think right now we're trying to figure out what is going on and how do we love people. And our job will be to look through what they say, how they act, how they live, how they hate, and still provide patient love for people. I mean, this is what Jesus did. And so we look to Jesus. One of the crazy things about Jesus is that he, he, he encountered hard people and still remained soft. I mean, that is a miracle. Like everybody's like, yeah, 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 God, I need you to turn the water into the wine, and I need you to multiply my money, and I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, man, Jesus endured hard people, and he still remained soft towards them. Every interaction, patient. Every conversation with a religious person, patient. Every conversation with someone who thought that they knew more than him, patience, kindness. Even when he had to tell them the truth or even when they, he had to say, you know, you might be wrong. Every moment was patience, kindness, and softness. And so the writer's saying like, hey, if you're going to finish the race that you have and you're looking at me and you're considering me, like this is going to help you endure hard people. Like, this is going to help you endure the hate that people might have for you. This is going to help you live through those moments where you have difficult people around you and, and you need help. This, is, this might even be crazier. It's going to help other people when you are the difficult person, right? Like I think sometimes we're like, oh, it's just them. It's just them. It's just them. This morning I had a difficult person moment and it was me. And I had to apologize and I had to ask for forgiveness and I think sometimes in the church, it's always like, yes, all those people out there. And then the world's like, all those people in there, what's wrong with them? We are a bunch of difficult people, but by God's grace, we're able to love people and persevere patiently with them. And so we're able to push through crises of faith. We're able to push through hardship and suffering. We're able to push through difficult relationships and difficult people but we're also able to endure discouragement. So the writer continues on. He says, we must never stop looking to Jesus. He is the leader of our faith, and he is the one who makes our faith complete. He suffered death on the cross, but he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing because of the joy he could see waiting for him. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God's throne. So think about Jesus. He patiently endured angry insults that people were shouting at him. And then he says this, think about him so that you won't get discouraged and stop trying. Think about him so you won't get discouraged and stop trying. And so the will that God has for us is not that we would give up. Like, he wants us to keep going. He wants us to not stop trying. We live in a world that says, I can't even, right? Like, every day people wake up and say, oh, I'm not. I can't even. I'm not going in. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm not. I give up. I'm walking away. I'm, I'm, I'm quitting this. I'm stopped doing that. I'm, like, just, I mean, the last few years has been known as the great resignation, and it's not just jobs that people are resigning from. I think people are resigning from marriages. I think people are resigning from friendships. I think that people are resigning from churches. I think that people are resigning from their faith. I think that people are resigning from their children. I think that people 
are resigning from their God-given callings. We have seen so many pastors walk away. We have seen so many people quit. We have seen so much happen. And the writer is saying that, hey, if you think about him, you've got to think about him because when you think about him, you won't get discouraged and stop trying. It's because that we have a God whose will for you and will for me is that we are able to finish the race that he has marked out for us. Like he doesn't make us start something that we're not going to be able to finish. He makes us start something that we won't be able to finish by our power and by our ability and only be able to lean into his power and his ability. And when we lean into his power and his ability, that's when we're able to persevere. That's when we're able to finish the race. And what happens when we're able to finish the race is we have this great fruit that comes from the faithfulness. And it's the faithfulness of him working in us. And it's the faithfulness of us showing up every day saying, God, I want to be used by you. I want to love like you. I want to live like you. I want to serve like you. Whatever I'm in right now is really hard. I really want to give up. It's not like you're faking it, like it's all perfect and everything's great. And like you're like, oh, it's fine. And your voice gets higher when you say it. Anytime someone's voice gets higher, I'm like, oh, you're lying. It's not good. Oh, bless your heart. You don't mean that. You don't bless my heart. And I think sometimes we're gritting our teeth and we're acting like nothing's wrong. But perseverance happens when we realize that it is very hard but we have a God who is all-powerful, and his power is at work in and through each one of us. Like, that's how it works, is he signs us up for things that we can't do in our own power, and he shows up and he does it through us. This is life. This is what it's like walking with God. And so rather than wanting to quit when you see the big monster ahead of you, whenever, rather than wanting to quit when you see the impossibility ahead of you, Rather than being discouraged, we're to have faith because you know what? I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know God's going to do it. And so his will for us is that we would not get discouraged and stop trying. And so whatever you're going through, the life that he's called you to, the race that he's marked out for you, you are in the race. You are in the Colosseum. As my wife said last week, you are on the mat because Jesus put you there. And we're to stay there until he takes us out of there, right? Like, there are times where things change. There are times where transition comes. But I find that too often we're trying to transition ourselves out of things before God is ready to transition us. You have a race. You have a purpose. You have a destination. And the most beautiful thing about God is that he is the one that is faithful, and he will do it. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.24. They're freaked out because they thought Jesus had already come back. Can you imagine living like that? Where you're like freaked out, like Jesus already came and I'm still here. Like, I mean, they, they, were, they, were, they were shook. Uh, we actually convinced our, our, our kids thought that the rapture had come one time when we were picking them up from school and uh, taking them to Disney. And I wasn't there. They thought the rapture had come and mom was coming to tell them that the rapture had come. And I, I, like, this is what happens when you read Left Behind at a young age. And I think you imagine, I mean, it's so removed from our minds, number one, because we're not thinking about eternity and we're not processing where we're going. But number two, like, it's just, it's just not a concept in our minds. And Jesus is like, hey, I need you to keep going. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I'm not done with you. I'm not done with the race that I have for you. 
And not only am I not done with you, I am going to work through you. But don't get discouraged. Don't give up. And so when it comes to walking with God and when it comes to running this race, like here's the deal, is that there are some beautiful things that he has set up for us. He has set up for us this family of God, the people of God. It's a community of courage. It's a community of connection. It's a community of clarity. But here's the deal. Some of this is on us. And here's what I know is you are going to get out what you put in. You're going to get out what you put in. And so we have to become responsible for the things that are in our bag. We have to be able to look out for the signs. But also we have to be responsible for where our eyes and where our minds are going to. Like we're responsible for that. No one else is responsible for where your eyes are and where your heart are fixed to. That's your, that's your responsibility. That's between you and God. That's something between you and God. And so you have to be able to say, you know what? My eyes, this is going to be really hard because I'm going to want to look at everything else. Like I'm going to want to wake up first thing and I'm going to want to scroll through Instagram or I'm going to want to check the news or I'm going to want to read what other people say about other people or even say about me. I'm going to want to read everything else, but I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to consider Jesus. And when I do, what's going to happen is I'm able to endure these days where I feel like I don't have faith. Like I'm going to be able to press through in days where I feel like I'm just having a crisis of faith. And then I remember, you know what, that he is the pioneer and perfecter of this thing. He's the one that started it. He's the one that's going to finish it. And so I press on. And then as I press on, I endure hardship and suffering. And I'm like, you know what, God, you you told me to keep my eyes on you. You told me to fix my mind on you. And so I really want to look at the circumstance, but I've got to keep my eyes on the cross. I've got to keep my eyes on the Christ. I got to keep my eyes on where this thing ends. Like we're playing for eternity. All right, so I endure some hard days and some hard things. And then I feel like I'm encountering some hard people. It's like, God, give me grace. I am a hard person. I was a hard person. By God's grace, I am your person. I'm considering you. My eyes are on you. Help me love hard people. Help me do it, Lord. I can't do it. This is, I mean, this is the ultimate, like, Jesus take the wheel moment, right? Like, this is what they talk about. Like, it's a meme. It's all fun and games. But this is what we're talking about. Jesus take the wheel. I can't do it. I can't love difficult people. I can't love myself. Jesus, help me love difficult people. And then we press on and we keep going. And it's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, my eyes are fixed on you. I'm considering you. Man, I'm just discouraged today. Just, I'm so discouraged thinking about this, I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about this. No, 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 stop thinking about this, stop thinking about that. My eyes are on you, Jesus. I'm considering you. I see the problem, but you're bigger. I see the discouragement, but I'm not going to give up because my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. My eyes aren't on the momentary discouragement. My eyes are on you. You have a race marked out for me. So these are responsibilities that you have. You are in charge of where your eyes go. You are in charge of the things that you consider, the things that your mind ponders. But I promise you, if you take charge of those things and you're able to fix your eyes on Jesus and you're able to consider in your mind, in your heart, the ways of Jesus, 
you're going to get plugged into this great cloud and he's going to multiply everything in your life. You're going to start to fulfill the, fill the momentum that you've never had. You're going to start realizing that there's something greater in you and there's something that greater that works through you and you are going to experience the family of God and the family of God's going to be able to experience you and you're going to realize that you're a part of a generation of people who have become the family of God and who have followed God faithfully all the days of their lives because you were able to take that responsibility. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus. This world's going to tell you to look at everything else and consider everything else, but consider Jesus. And if you do, I know that you will finish the race that he has for you. Father, we just ask that you would just help us keep our gaze on you. Father, I just pray uh, that you would just do what only you can do. Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Father, I pray that you would use this moment to just convict our hearts, to just show us how we've considered other things, show us how our vision has been on other things. Uh, Father, we look to you. We look to your son. We look to everything that you have for us. And Father, we know that uh, our days are good because our eyes are on you. Love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening in to Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.